You're listening to Comedy Central. September 9th, 2019. From Comedy Central's World News Headquarters in New York, this is The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, Ears Edition. with a brand new book. Anthony Porofsky is joining us, everybody. Also on tonight's show, Odell Beckham Jr. plays football with a house on his wrist. Voters grab a politician's butt and Alabama, you might want to prepare yourself because the hurricane is totally coming back. So let's catch up on today's headlines. Let's kick it off with an update on that big college cheating scandal. TV star Felicity Huffman has now pled guilty to paying a service to fake her daughter's test scores, and prosecutors are asking a judge to throw the book at her. Felicity Huffman is scheduled to be sentenced next week for her role in the massive college admissions scandal. Federal prosecutors are calling for Huffman to serve one month in jail plus a $20,000 fine. Prosecutors say Huffman's conduct was deliberate and manifestly criminal, writing to the judge, in the context of this case, neither probation nor home confinement in a large home in the Hollywood Hills with an infinity pool would constitute meaningful punishment. Yep, that's right. The prosecutors don't want Felicity Huffman to be sentenced to house arrest because this is her house. Yeah. (laughs) Which is a good point, let's be honest. I mean, if my punishment was living in that house, I'd be robbing banks every day. I'd just be like, (laughs) oh, I did it again. (laughs) Seriously, it's not a punishment if it has an infinity pool, right? That's just a fact. Now, if it was house arrest and there was an above ground pool, that is different. (laughs) Yeah, that's actually cruel and unusual punishment. Her lawyers would be like, just give her the electric chair, Your Honor, please. No human being should be forced to swim in Tupperware while the neighbors watch, please. <laughs> but honestly, I, like, I'm not sure what her punishment should be. Cause I still say, I think America sends too many people to prison. But at the same time, you can't give someone like Felicity Huffman community service. Her community is just rich Hollywood people. Like, what's the service? <laughs> no, really, what, do you have to go to their house and cut Harvey Weinstein out of all the photos they have with him? What do you do? <laughs> What do you do? (laughs) Frankly, the whole idea of house arrest is weird to me as a concept, because it doesn't work for rich people, because who are you supposed to beat the shit out of on your first day to assert yourself? The butler, huh? (laughs) And house arrest also doesn't work for homeless people, because then you're just free. So actually, it's great. (laughs) In other news, presidential candidate Andrew Yang is currently polling in sixth place. But you wouldn't know it from the media coverage he gets. In fact, Yang only ranks 13th in cable news mentions, which probably explains why he has to get attention with stunts like this. A Democratic presidential candidate is taking his campaign to new heights, literally. Check this out, Andrew Yang does crowd surfing. The businessman turned 2020 candidate speaking (laughs) at a forum organized by Asian American activist groups. When he was hoisted into the air, he tweeted out the video writing, haven't crowd surfed in a while, hashtag Yang Gang. (laughs) Yeah! Yin Yang, Andrew Yang is crowd surfing. And I know it looks fun, but for a politician, that's really risky. 
Because you're making so many people grab your ass. That's a scandal waiting to happen. <laughs> yeah. You basically have to get permission individually with every single person that you go past. It's gonna be like the slowest crowd surf ever. You'd be like, do you consent to my ass? Do you consent to my ass? Okay, do you consent to my ass? Do you consent to my ass? Thank you, thank you. But you realize now that Yang has done it, I bet other candidates are also gonna try and be cool and crowd surf, which is gonna be awkward for people like Bill de Blasio who only have one supporter. Uh, <laughs> and, and I gotta hand it, I gotta hand it to Andrew Yang. He's not getting a ton of media coverage, so he's out there getting that attention for himself. Crowd surfing, playing basketball, doing the Cupid shuffle. Huh? <laughs> Only problem is, Andrew, you realize you're gonna have to keep escalating your stunts. At this rate, in six months, he's gonna have to go full Tom Cruise. My flagship proposal, the Freedom Dividend, would put $1,000 a month into the hands of every American adult, be a game changer for millions of American families. I don't know why he flew Spirit Airlines. Anyway, <laughs> let's move on now to America's war on people having a good time. Sorry, I mean war on drugs, which uh, recently scored another victory. Customs agencies an extra spicy delivery of jalapeno peppers at a port near San Diego. 7,500 pounds of marijuana is said to be worth more than $2 million didn't fool the K-9 unit, sniffing it out in the pepper shipment. It was the second multi-million dollar shipment of pot intercepted there within the last few days. God damn. <laughs> Nearly four tons of weed, four tons of weed were discovered being smuggled into the U.S. inside of jalapenos. And honestly, I'm glad that they caught it. I don't want dangerous substances being smuggled in with my weed. <laughs> Although, it would have been funny if, if they didn't catch some and then someone ate the weed and the jalapenos at the same time. It would be such a mix of emotions. We'd be like, ha, 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 All right, moving on. Being president is such a pressure-filled job, you know? It's important for the presidents to find a way to let off steam. Obama played basketball. George W. Bush cleared brush on his bra ranch. Uh, Lincoln liked going to the theater. Um, yeah, it took his mind off things. But when it comes, too soon? But when it comes to President Trump, his passion is beefing. Beefing with his enemies. And this weekend, he was going at it hard. So let's catch up on who the president is beefing with now in another installment of Donald J. Trump, Commander in Beef. I'm gonna hit them back. And if I give them a whack, you think I could take this guy and knock the crap out of him, would you? Like to punch him in the face. First up in the controversy that just won't die. It's President Trump versus the weather. <laughs> Eight days after he incorrectly warned Alabama that Hurricane Dorian was headed its way, Trump is still insisting that he was right all along. After falsely warning that Alabama remained threatened by Hurricane Dorian, President Trump spent the week digging in, displaying that map doctored with a Sharpie, posting 11 tweets over seven days insisting he was right even directing his Homeland Security and Counterterrorism advisor to release a 225-word statement. Mr. Trump said in a tweet, I would like very much to stop referring to this ridiculous story, but the lamestream media just won't let it alone. Yes, according to his tweets, Trump wishes he could end this beef, but he can't. Because you see, every time he tweets, the media reports on his tweets. And then since he has to have the last word, he tweets a response to the media's report. And then they report on his response. And then it keeps going on and then it comes back around and it goes and it just gets stronger. It's basically like nuclear energy, only a lot more stupid, okay? <laughs> and you realize there's a chance that this hurricane beef might never end. And I mean never. 
Like when Trump is like 100 years old, he'd be laying on his deathbed surrounded by the people he loves and Eric. <laughs> and, and he'll still be like, I was right about Alabama. And then CNN will report on it, and then Trump will come back from the dead. Ah, I was right, I told you I was right. <laughs> I was right. And you know, it would be one thing if Trump was just obsessively tweeting about this hurricane for a week, but now he's dragging the rest of the government into his shitstorm. Minutes ago, the New York Times reported that Commerce Secretary Wilbur Ross threatened to fire top employees at NOAA after its Birmingham office contradicted the president's claim that Dorian might strike Alabama. And that story broke after the Washington Post reported earlier that NOAA's chief scientist will investigate why the agency backed the president over its own experts on Dorian. Yes, it turns out President Trump is so embarrassed by his hurricane blunder that his administration threatened to fire any weather officials who wouldn't back up his alternative facts. And guys, the NOAA doesn't have time for this. Their job is to monitor hurricanes. If they're distracted by Trump's beefs, you realize what could happen. We could have a giant backlog of hurricanes. They can't come in. (laughs) Yeah. Because without their hurricane permits, they're not allowed to come into the country. It's a whole process. You have to get your name, your category. It's just like they're waiting in line like, hey, what's going on? We're trying to get in. It's just like a whole, this whole thing. And while the Weather Service is trying to deal with Trump's hurricane beef, he's already started another one. The president also sparked a beef with John Legend and his wife, Chrissy Teigen, last night. Uh, It apparently happened after he watched an MSNBC special with Lester Holt and John Legend on efforts to fix the broken criminal justice system. He tweeted in part, guys like boring musician John Legend and his filthy-mouthed wife are talking now about how great it is, but I didn't see them around when we needed help getting it passed. John Legend responded, tweeting this. Melania, please praise this man. He needs you. Chrissy Teigen also responded her tweet, uh, we cannot put on air due to its vulgarity. That's right. Donald Trump lashed out at John Legend and Chrissy Teigen because he feels like they're taking credit for achieving criminal justice reform instead of giving him the praise. Now, John Legend and Chrissy Teigen both hit back at the commander and tweet. You saw John's reply, but Chrissy Teigen's response was too vulgar for the news to repeat. Luckily, we're not the news. So, here it is. Trump called her John Legend's filthy-mouthed wife. But because he didn't have the guts to tag her on Twitter, Chrissy Teigen called him a pussy-ass bitch. And... And to be honest, To be honest, I don't know why the news can't say that on air. (laughs) It's a well-known medical condition (laughs) in which a bitch's ass is replaced by a pussy. (laughs) And I think the more we talk about it in society, the more we can destigmatize the serious disease. (laughs) So, Trump's beefing with the weather and he's beefing with celebrities, but there's one Trump beef that might actually have major real-world consequences. 
A developing story out of Washington this morning. President Trump revealing in a tweet that he had been planning a secret meeting with the Taliban. Tonight, the White House had hoped to surprise the world with the Taliban at Camp David signing a peace deal. As President Trump tweeted Saturday night, unbeknownst to almost everyone, the major Taliban leaders and separately the president of Afghanistan were going to secretly meet with me at Camp David. <laughs> But the president canceled the secret summit after Thursday's suicide bombing at a Kabul checkpoint. Trump said in his tweet that he immediately canceled the peace talks, uh, asking how many more decades are they willing to fight? Okay, this story is wild. <laughs> Over the weekend, Trump tweeted out that he was canceling a secret meeting he had planned with the Taliban because they had launched an attack in Afghanistan. <laughs> and this came out of the blue because no one knew Trump had scheduled peace talks with the Taliban. Like what Trump did here is like your best friend telling you that he's getting a divorce and you're like, I didn't even know you were married. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, dude, it just wasn't gonna work out. She killed 11 people in Afghanistan. It was crazy. <laughs> this whole thing was what? Did you hear what they said? They were like, they wanted to surprise the nation. Yeah, everyone would have been surprised <laughs> if they were like the Taliban's at Camp David. I'm sorry, what? Surprise. <laughs> it's the worst surprise in the world. And now if you're still confused by the story, you're not the only one. But as far as we can understand from what's being reported, here's what they say really happened. Over the past nine years, the US government has been trying to get a peace deal with the Taliban to end the war in Afghanistan, right? And the past few weeks, it looked like that deal was close to happening. But when Trump heard about this deal, he demanded that the Taliban come to Camp David in America to sign the deal with him on camera so that he would get the praise. But the Taliban didn't want to come to America. Firstly, because they don't trust the United States, uh, which I understand. They're like, uh, <laughs> we're not coming there. And secondly, because they probably don't want to deal with the TSA. <laughs> Can you imagine how stressful that shit's gonna be for them? Just gonna come in as the Taliban. You have to fill out the little forms. The guy at the TSA is gonna be like, so uh, what do you do for a living? Be like, I'm the leader of the Taliban. So you're a terrorist? Yeah, yes, but not for this trip, okay? Not for this trip. <laughs> this time I'm off the clock. So the Taliban refused to come to America and Trump tweeted out, no, I'm breaking up with you guys. And so there is a possibility that the war in Afghanistan will continue now because Trump has put a photo opportunity above peace. Yeah, which according to WebMD is a classic symptom of a pussy ass bitch. <laughs> we'll be right back. a big weekend in the world of sports, which means it's time for another edition of I Apologize for Talking While You Were Talking. Oh, what's up, sports fans? I'm Michael Costa. My usual partner, Roy Wood Jr., is not with us. He's away getting his belly button enlarged, but it's all good because I'm joined by my man with a normal belly button, Jabuki, young, white Jabuki. Are you ready to be a professional sports commentator? Well, I actually don't know a lot about sports. Well, then you're perfect. Let's start with tennis. This weekend was the final Grand Slam of the year, and as usual, it did not disappoint. Now that thrilling U.S. Open final, Rafael Nadal winning the title in a marathon match last night, lasting almost five hours. It's his 19th career Grand Slam. Then on Saturday, 19-year-old tennis phenom 
Bianca Andrescu beating Serena Williams in straight sets to win the women's title. She apologized to Serena. It was kind of cute. I know you guys wanted Serena to win, so I'm so sorry. Wow. She won the U.S. Open, and then she apologized for it. That has to be the most Canadian thing ever. That's more Canadian than eating poutine out of the Stanley Cup. But you know what? It, it is Serena. Mm -hmm. She's a legend, man. If I was playing her, I'd apologize every time I returned the ball. Okay. I'd just be like, uh, sorry, uh, you're a queen, slay, I love you. That's it. This wasn't even close, Jabuki. Andrescu beat Serena in straight sets. She got wrapped, packed, and sent home to mama. Send home to mama, what is that supposed to be? Oh, oh, that's right, you don't know how this works. It's a sportscaster thing. You just kind of cartoonishly exaggerate how somebody got beat. Okay, all right, I can do that, yeah. Yeah, okay, you try. Andrescu didn't just beat Serena. She grabbed her, stabbed her, and cut her head off. Okay, that's, okay, that's, we'll work on that. You know, Jay by Dub, when one season comes to an end, another begins. That's right, the NFL is back. Yes, an opening weekend was a disaster for New York. The Giants and the Jets lost. Oh, okay, so you did watch. Oh, no, I just assumed. Oh, okay, speaking, <laughs> speaking of New York losing, one former Giants player came back flashier than ever. Odell Beckham Jr. made his debut with the Cleveland Browns yesterday, but it's his flex that has a lot of people talking. So fans quickly noticed that Beckham was wearing a watch during actual game action, which is pretty unusual, you know, for contact sport. But a closer look at the watch revealed that it wasn't just any watch. It was a Richard Milley watch. Heard of it. Uh, USA Today reports it is a model watch priced at $350,000. Yeah. This dude wore a watch worth hundreds of thousands of dollars to play football? I don't feel comfortable wearing my good jeans if I think I'm gonna eat spaghetti that night. And here's where it's tough, Jabuki. I eat spaghetti every night. Dude, your life sounds awful. But wait, is that a thing? Like, do other football players wear watches no, no, when no. they play? Contact sports don't allow it. Football players can't wear watches because it's dangerous. Boxers can't wear watches because it's dangerous. Baseball players can't wear watches because they'll be checking them the whole time, you know? I've been out here for five hours, only the third inning? Jabuki, here's what Odell needs to learn. Odell, all right, you gotta quit being flashy and focus on the team. You're making the big bucks now. Odell, you gotta lead by oh example. God, wait, hold on, is Odell watching? <laughs> I didn't know that he watched the show, what's up? No, he, he's not actually watching. As a professional sportscaster, you act like you're telling the athlete what to do, but we're really just talking to our viewers. Okay, so you're a guy telling other guys what you would tell another guy, and then you go home and you eat spaghetti. Damn, man, your life is awful. Uh, well, you know what, let, let, let's move on, okay? Because the biggest news about the NFL is about a player who didn't even play. This is the NFL's opening weekend, and there has already been a lot of drama. Star wide receiver Antonio Brown was cut from the Oakland Raiders just hours after asking to be released from the team. This was the moment Brown found out he had been freed. The Raiders free! I'm not gonna lie, this feels like what would happen if we had Twitter back during slavery. Okay, okay. Now, now you know how Antonio Brown handled the Raiders? He wrapped them, he packed them, and he sent them home to mama. Yeah, I guess you could say he tripped them, yep. he flipped them, and then he sent him a box of anthrax. This, you know, this is not working out, Roy. I hope your belly button gets bigger soon. We'll be back Great next week you. with another edition of I Apologize. Trevor, back to you.
Michael Costa and Jabuki Young-White, everybody. We'll be right back. on the Emmy Award-winning Netflix series Queer Eye and an author who has a new cookbook called Anthony in the Kitchen. Please welcome Anthony Porowski. Hi. Welcome, my friend. Thank you for having so me. So good to finally have you on the show um, as a fan of what you do on Queer Eye as a fan of your cooking. I've been lucky enough to taste your cooking, and then when I heard you were coming out with a cookbook, I was like, this is, it's, it's a match made in heaven. It's um, Are you ready to give away your secrets, though? Um, I am. It was a long time coming. It's still just seeing my face on a book and thinking how much time went into it and just knowing that it's there is like, you know what, everything is surreal right now. Sitting you, right. sitting here with you, <laughs> looking at the book, just life has been surreal for the past year and a half. I feel like you're in the business be. of making people's lives surreal though. That's, that's what you do on Queer. That's what makes it such a fun show. You go around America, you just like get in people's lives. One thing I enjoyed about what you do specifically on the show is you connect people with their food. Yes. Something that has, I feel like has been a disconnect in America, for, especially for a long time, where people just go like, oh, it's just food. And you go like, no, food is more special than we, we think it is, why? I think it's so much more than that. I mean, it's, it's, it's how you say, I love you. It's how you say, I'm sorry to someone. It connects you to your roots, where you came from. Um, it's, it's how you meet new friends. Right. Like when you came over, it's, it's the medium for me for everything. It's my love language. It's, and I think especially in like, it's a messed up world. Like, it's really a messed up world. Right. And I think that it's an incredible opportunity to just connect with other people and break bread and have conversations. Yeah, quite literally breaking bread. I mean, yeah. you know, that's, that's, that's what makes it so... There's no bread recipe in the book, but, you know, <laughs> that's for the next one. Yeah, but it, it really is like a, you know, it's a social experience. It's a, it, Absolutely. It's a, it's a beautiful vibe that you have with food. You have a connection with it, though, where it, where it really does feel like a love language. You know what I... I've read a lot of... Um, cookbooks, and normally it's just, I read it for the pictures. I'm not actually gonna do anything. I do, I just like pictures of great food, and then I, I eat my food, and I'm like, mmm. But like, this book is very personal, because like, you, you, you tell stories of like, what it was like for you to come out as gay. You talk about like, how your, you know, your culture affects your food, and, and who you are as a person. Why did you infuse so much of your story into the cooking? I mean, I think, look, Queer Eye was an opportunity... Queer Eye is a service job, right? We show up for perfect strangers and we try to figure out how we can be of service in such a short amount of time. This was an opportunity to tell my story. And we were trying to figure out... We spent a lot of time trying to figure out, like, what kind of book we wanted to do. Is this right. going to be technical? Is it going to be my Polish heritage? And I realized that it doesn't have to be one thing or the other. Um, it's, it's, it's an autobiography. It, it, it travels from, like, food that I ate when I was a little kid. Yes. To, like, stuff I ate when I was a broke-ass student to dishes that I prepare now. And like my Polish heritage, like I was ashamed to be Polish for a pretty big portion of my life yeah, and I fell back in that. love with it. And I think that it's incredibly important. And I just wanted to, like every single recipe in that book has a story behind it. Right, if someone reads this though, and they go, Anthony, look, I love your cooking, mm. right? But I am a horrible, horrible cook. Like not me, just another person. <laughs> someone else, someone else. Let's say someone else is saying this right now. They're like, Anthony, I don't know how to cook. Um, and this looks amazing. Like, 
how easy is it to to get this done? Because like cookbooks always, it always seems easy, but it's yeah. like like the pictures are amazing. I mean, like if you see some of the things that are being prepared here, I mean, look at look at this. Like look at yeah, look at. Well, that. that's like literally five ingredients. There's no excuse for that. Yeah, I've never seen this. Looks like nothing I've ever made ever. Like this is. It's fennel and citrus. They go no, so well I mean, well look, together. this is like it's an egg. Look Everyone look should love Vegemite look at and a crispy look at egg. This. Look at that. I've never ever ever made an egg that looks like this. But you know what? It takes practice. Like I've ruined about 50 chickens trying to figure out how to roast them perfectly until I finally got it right. I've been making risotto for years and then finally learned that you're not supposed to like mix it vigorously, but it's like gently folding it in so that you don't break down the arboreal rice. Wow. It's like it's something that you learn and you nurture it and you, you know? Wow. Did I just teach you something? Yeah, no. That's dope. I'm just gonna. I taught. I taught you about like the emulsification powers of pasta water have, with yes, the spaghetti limon. Just everything. Yeah. So that, that's what this book is. Just like giving people an opportunity to begin the process of learning yes. how to express themselves through food. Yeah. And just like on Queer Eye, for some people they have a bit of a background, and you want to teach them technical things. For other people, the ones who really interest me are the ones who supposedly don't care and just right. eat granola bars every day. And I try to find an emotional connection. I love it. You know what, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take it, I'm gonna try and cook something from the book, and then I'm going to send you a picture on Instagram. Please. And it'll look nothing like your I'm book. I'm excited. <laughs> it'll look nothing like we the book. We don't know that, we don't know that. But I'll try, that. I'll keep on trying. Thank okay. you so much Thank for coming so to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Anthony in the Kitchen is a beautiful book. It's available now. Anthony Karofsky, everybody. The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, Ears Edition. Watch The Daily Show weeknights at 11, 10 Central on Comedy Central and the Comedy Central app. Watch full episodes and videos at thedailyshow.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And subscribe to The Daily Show on YouTube for exclusive content and more. This has been a Comedy Central podcast. 